Thank you, Devin. Uh, before we get into the message this, uh, this morning, I want to give a little advertisement for uh, the verse of the month. If you have your bulletin, pull that out. It's a card looking like this. And it's uh, just got a great um, truth for us to put to memory, but even more so to put into practice. It says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, let's just say that together. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, I'm always, uh, there's a few quotes of, of you know, fairly famous people or familiar people that, that I'll hear and just, I just seem to never forget. But Mark Twain said something like this. He says, you know, it's not the things in the Bible I don't know about or don't understand that, that, that grab me or challenge me. It's the things I do know. And this is one of the things in the Bible that, whether you've ever read it or memorized it, it is pretty clear. This you know, my beloved brethren. And then it says, but everyone. Now, I'm struck sometimes by the simplicity and power of the Scripture. Is uh, Some people, when they look at this rather intimidating book, it's, it's rather big, has a lot of words in it, not a lot of pictures. Uh, they're saying, how can I ever get this you know, figured out? And, and then also sometimes they hear messages from people like me and they go, well, that didn't really apply to me. That must apply to somebody else. But this verse is one that says everyone is to take this to heart. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So just turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. And then say, this is also for me as well. You know, we, we are all supposed to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we could, we could all get better at listening. Would everybody say amen to that? You could be a better listener. Okay, and then we could all maybe um, uh, refrain from saying some things we shouldn't say. We ought to be slow to speak. And we all know that sometimes our anger gets the best of us, so we ought to be slow to anger. And so this is, this is one of those verses that's for everyone. This you know, my beloved brethren. If I told you I've got a, 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 a grandchild, you know, she's so excited when she, um, you, you talk to her, but she, she's already a know-it-all, you know, and she'll say, I already knew that, you know. <laughs> and, and then sometimes she'll say, I didn't know that. Um, and this is one of those things we all know. We ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is one of those verses right on the bottom shelf. We can all get it, right? Okay, so uh, put it to memory. And the reason you put it to memory is it reminds you to do it. Okay, the more it's up, you know, close to where you're thinking, the next time you're, you're trying to say something that you know you shouldn't say and you're debating whether to say it, are you being slow to speak? You know, when that, that emotion starts to rise and you just want to blow up, oh, am I being slow to anger? And when you're um, multitasking, when your, your spouse or your friend wants to talk to you and you're focused on something else and you, I think I can give them one ear, you know, maybe you ought to turn and give them both ears. Uh, this is what God's Word says to all of us. So anyway, a verse to memorize, it's doable, and, uh, but it does take a little bit of time, and, and you'll get it down. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into today's passage, all right? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for a word that speaks clearly, and we pray that we might just hear what you have to say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James. We're actually going to look at a couple verses out of the text, at least the text in James, but we'll see a few other things as well that, that are in your outline and maybe one or two passages that are not in your outline, though the references are there. But this is, uh, this is one of those days in which you have uh, competing challenges of your pastor. Do I, do I just teach out of our series and we're in the series in the book of James, or do I just give a a topical singular message on mothers, and so what I'm going to try to do is both. 
The, the message is worthless religion plus a word to mom. So hopefully you'll see that kind of seeded in and what, what I have to say this morning. But mothers and laying, we're really celebrating all ladies today. It's a, it's a valuable thing you do. I was reading something even early this morning, and they say now, uh, and I've heard higher numbers than this, but they say if you just take what a mother does uh, day in and day out, their, uh, their uh, monetary value in terms of their tasks is $65,284 uh, a year for what they do. Um, when you think about Mother's Day, Mother's Day is a rather expensive day for a lot of people. Uh, $21.2 billion are, is spent on Mother's Day. Um, in fact, interesting enough, Anna Jarvis, who's one of the ones who really promoted it to be a national holiday, she didn't invent it, but she was the one who kind of got it on the calendar, um, and she fought really hard to make it a, a holiday in, Amer- in America. Uh, it was interesting, though, a, a decade after it was put into a, a law, I guess you could say it, she got arrested for protesting that Mother's Day had become too commercialized. Interesting. It's, uh, there's more money spent on, on, on Mother's Day, I think, just about than any other day in America other than uh, Christmas. And as she was protesting, because much of what she wanted to emphasize, among other things, she wanted to support women's rights or mother's rights as well as to be... Uh, rallying point for those who promoted peace, and when it became just amount of spending money on, on the um, a particular gender, she thought it went way too far. Abraham Lincoln thought it was a pretty significant thing to remember about his mother because he said, as President of the United States, I want everyone to know I owe everything I've ever done or ever become to my mother. And then I came across this quote that I thought was interesting, life does not come with a manual, it comes with a mother. <laughs> Now, I'm not sure that's particularly true because I think we do have a manual, but often we don't interpret the manual until we have someone see it lived out or um, one who uses it as the guide for how they mother. But anyway, this morning we're going to be talking about what God wants to be true about our life that has worth. But often what we do every Sunday morning, and actually hopefully every day of every week, uh, we, we try to practice our religion but many people, if you get into a religious or spiritual conversation, you might ask them about what church they go to or what they believe, what they think about Christianity, whatever it might be. And they might respond back and say, well, you know, to be really honest with you, I think religion is worthless. And there's many things you can respond back to that statement. But, you know, one statement, one way to respond to that is, well, you know, that's, that's rather prudent because the Bible says that religion is worthless. And you go, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. The Bible says religion is worthless. It's man's religion. The word religion is only used five times in the New Testament. It's a it's a word called, it's, it's the Greek word threskos, which really doesn't help you at all, but it's only used a few times. And you would think in a religious book like the Bible, it would be used all the time. But it's used uh, in Acts chapter 26, verse 5. In fact, only four verses as it's used five times. In Acts 26, verse 5, it, it's, it speaks about uh, Paul's testimony. And he talks about that he used to uh, follow the religion of the Pharisees. And if you look into that, what he's really saying, I used to have a religion that was worthless. Because all it was was a list of man's traditions and rules. And I, saw that, I thought just following after that would please God. And then he uses the word in Colossians 2.18 about another type of religion. 
In fact, it's a religion not of man, but actually a religion of the angels. And he said, those who worship the angels or even just self-abasement, how many things can you restrict yourself from doing, that religion is worthless. And then you come to James, and James uses it three times in two verses, and two of the times is in a negative sense, but in one area he presents it as a, as a positive expression of how you understand, how you live out what you believe. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, looking at uh, James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we'll, we'll read the two verses, and then we'll go back and try to pick it apart a little bit. If anyone thinks himself to be religious... And so if you've ever thought yourself to be religious, here's, uh, here's something you ought to think about. And yet does not bridle his tongue, but, de- but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. So he said, you know, you're, you're like an animal who's out of control, like a, like a horse in which someone is trying to ride and move in a certain direction. And you need to realize if you don't have something in its mouth, you're not going to be able to move that, that powerful animal in the way you want it to go. And he says, you need to understand that that whatever you say you have in a relationship with God, if you want to monitor whether you really got something that's effective, that really amounts to anything, you, you better put something in your mouth that controls what you say. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself. You, and that's, that's the most dangerous place to be in, where, where you think something is true, and in reality it's not true, it's what? It's false. And let's just say, in most areas of life, much of the time we get deceived because we think something is true and it's really not true. And here he's speaking about religion. And then he goes on, verse 27, and says, Pure and undefiled religion, now he uses it in a positive way, in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in all their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, those are two little pithy little verses, and... And actually, there's a lot in there. You say, well, what, what are we supposed to remember out of those two verses? Well, let me just put it this way. If you really want to have true religion, and, and since this is Mother's Day, and if you really want to understand what really good motherhood is, because I think there's a, there's a blending of those two uh, ideas, true religion ought to impact motherhood, uh, then there are three things, and this is not comprehensive, but it's representative. Here are three things that will monitor if you're going down the right path and being the mother you should, and even more importantly, to being a person who really knows God, not just about God. Here's three things that you can say. Here's a template to say, is it really happening? And this is what he says. You need to have a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. A controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. And we're going to see this here. And again, the word religion is only used a few times. And so here's where he defines what a, a, a a true religion is, and he, he speaks about the tongue. He speaks about what you do with your life. Do you, do you care about people in need? That's compassion. And then how, how do you live your life? Is it, is it just conformed to everything the world does? Or, or is it to have a dimension to it where instead of being uh, muddied up, it's clean? And, and we're going to see that uh, this, this day. So if you have your uh, Bibles and you have your outline, uh, let, let's look at it this morning. True religion shows in a controlled tongue. And reading back what we already read, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, and just let's take another step back just to make sure we're getting what we mean by religion. We live in a, in a day where often Christians will say, you know, I'm not religious, I have a relationship with Christ, or I have a relationship with God. 
And the reason we do that, because the word religion has kind of taken on some negative connotation. What do you mean by that? Is it just um, what it appears to be external behavior? And really, we're talking about in this series, James is very practical about making our faith external, where people can see it. To not only have a faith, but give it away, to have a faith that's lived out. So the word is neutral. It can be used in a positive or negative sense. In fact, the word in the Latin means to, to bind together, or to bind up. And, and that can be, again, used in a positive way. If something is out of, out of control, you, you bind it up. Some of you of certain genders that have longer hair than the rest of us, you, you'll put things in your hair so it doesn't get out of control. You'll, do some, you'll tie it up. You'll, you'll go to a, a place that puts certain products in it that will keep it under control because it's out of control, so you need to bind it up. And it's a good thing, right? You don't, want to, you don't want to have a bad hair day every day, right? So you bind it. Is this working as an analogy? I don't ever use it for my okay. You know, so bind it. But it can be, it can be a bad thing, too, if, you, if you're binding it up in a way that's just, you know, disastrous. And, and, and he says that about, about our lives. Okay, religion has a, is a thing that gives you a guideline to how to, to live out your life, but it's not restrictive. It should set you free, to free to be what you want to be, to set your hair to, to be what you want it to be, to set your life to be how you want it to be. And, and, he, and he says, okay, if you consider yourself to be religious in the, in the positive sense, in the real sense, not the false sense, Here's one way to look at it. And he doesn't look at their hair. He looks at the mouth. He says, you need to bridle your tongue or you're deceiving yourself. And really what you think is important to you really is worthless. And, and what he's trying to say here is what is on the inside ought to show on the outside. And what is on the inside will reveal whether what you have is the real thing. And if we were brutally honest about religious people, people who do certain things in a, in a disciplined manner or a regular way, when you say you do something religious, it means you do something over and over and over again. But what does it really show? Does it show that you're just being you know, tied to certain traditions or rules, or does it really reflect what's in the heart? And he's saying, I'll give you the most difficult place to show your faith, and that is in the words that come out of your mouth. And this is throughout Scripture. In Proverbs 10, 14, it says this, Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Now, we've all heard this little phrase, Sticks and bones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many believe that? Some of you are aware a little bit of my experience in life, and, and um, I have, I, I have uh, I've done a lot of things maybe which has caused physical harm to my body. You know, I've broken quite a few bones. I had quite a few bruises, all kinds of things I've done. And, and you look at me and say, you need to grow up, Mike. You've got to stop doing those things, all right? But, you know, when you, when you do a lot of those things, after a while, I, I don't, can't even remember some of my broken bones experiences. I don't, can't even remember some of the bruises I've had. Uh, they just, they're just gone, all right? But I can today still remember things people have said to me or to others that I want to forget but can't. Now, I've forgiven them, but, you know, there's things that linger. And, 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 and they cut deep to the heart, don't they? And so what comes out of the mouth can help people or it can really hurt people. 
And so sometimes we want to take back what we've said, but you can't take it all back. And you just hope by the grace and mercy of God and that person, you know, trust can be rebuilt and relationship can be built, rebuilt. And so James, he just tells it like it is. Okay, you think you got it? Okay, what are you doing with your tongue? In Proverbs 10, 19, it says this, but there, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You know, we, we, we talk a lot in life. Now, some people talk more than others, and some people get paid for talking, okay, but, but we do talk a lot. Uh, and depending upon who you read, there's different measurements as far as how many words come out of a person's mouth on a, on a regular basis. But one study I read just recently, they said 18,000 words is the average for, for adults. Now, we know that this is Mother's Day. This is Ladies' Day. They do say that ladies, a lot of them speak 25,000 words, you know, you know, every day. Some put it a little bit higher. But anyway, there's a lot of words. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of words. And you think, well, how many words are, it, are, are what does that look like as far as 18,000 words a day? Well, they say if you... If you put that on a, um, on a daily basis, that 18,000 words is about uh, the size of a 54-page book. Now, you annualize that 54-page book you just written in one day. It's 66 volumes of books that are 800 pages long. So you, you, you've been writing a lot of books this past year. All of us have. In fact, they've said that really if you look at it, as far as your waking uh, time, they say that one-fifth, 20% of your life is spent talking. Now, what that says is that we all have a lot of words going out. And if we don't realize that the more we say, the more likely we're going to say something we shouldn't say, then we're a fool. And, and, and that we need to radically be different in how we live as, as people who say they know God. And this is practical. Say, what comes out of your mouth? Is it hurting or helping people? In Proverbs 10, 32, it says, But the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, you know, if, you know remember that popular show? Um, it wasn't, I, I didn't really get into it really at all, but, you know, Touched by an Angel. Remember Touched by an Angel? The angel goes around does touching and helping people all the time. Is that, you know, sometimes at, during that period of time, everybody was enamored by angels. There were so many books written by angels after that. You know, the Bible says that if you could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, it's nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. You could be eloquent. You could be people who are mesmerized by what you say and how you say it. But if it's not done out of love, just even the motive, even the, the words are right, but the motive is wrong. It's so destructive. And this being Mother's Day, we're talking about true religion, the, the real deal, that which is uh, from God. And we can monitor by knowing what, what do we see about what comes out of our mouth. In that section in Proverbs, which speaks about the exemplary wife and the exemplary mother, Proverbs 31, 26, this is part of her, her um, known character. It says, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Wouldn't it be a great uh, reputation for God's people if God's people were known as the kindest people in the world? And if people say, well, how are they kind? Well, you ought to just listen to them talk not only to each other but to other people as well. Kindness is on her tongue. 
If that be true of a mother, how much should that be true of all of us? That that's what we're known as. We're, we're known as kind people. This is popped in my head. One of the things that will frustrate my, um, my wife and the mother of my children as much as anything else, when, if, if she's out you know, at a store or a mall or just out in the community at a park, and all of a sudden she will observe a mother just name-calling her children to the nth degree calling them all kinds of names, demeaning them. And, and let's be honest, as, as people as well as mothers, there are times you need to be tough love as well as tender love. You need to correct. You need to discipline. You need to point in the right direction. You need to be honest about what you think is right and wrong. But you do it with love and as much kindness as you can. So even though they don't like the message, they know where the messenger, one who cares about them. And so what James does here, and he says it to, to mothers, but he says it really to all of us, that, that if we really have that which is true religion, which is really a true relationship with God, and what is in the heart flows out in how we live, and particularly you can monitor it by what we say, that's what true religion should be. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy to be a people that are, that are quick to give a, you know, a piece of our mind to somebody else or, or be overly critical or major on things that aren't really that important. I was reading a story, it's an old story, about John Wesley. He was a famous pastor of his day, and he had someone in his church that was just critical all the time, critical about anything and everything, not only what he said or how long he said it or uh, it'd be about uh, how he dressed and, and um, what color his tie was or how long his tie was, and and so after one service, uh, this, this person came up to, to him and said, uh, your tie was so offensive to me. He said, well, what was wrong with it? It was just way too long. He says, way too long? He says, well, and I brought some scissors here to help you out. He says, okay, well, if it, you can use your scissors as long as you give the scissors back to me so I can maybe, if there's, I, maybe I could help you out. So he, uh, she took the scissors and cut his tie off to the, the length that she, she thought it ought to be. And so then he said, well, can I now have your, have your scissors? And she gave the scissors her. She said, well, you stick out your tongue. <laughs> it's a lot longer than it should be. Let me just snip it a little bit, all right? And, and so as we think about, you know, this text, uh, you know, where, where are some areas in our life that we need to start snipping our tongue a little bit? And to make that really practical, you may, it might be just with certain people we do it or certain subjects or certain, certain settings and and we need to be more under uh, uh, sensitive to God's control in our life to, to watch what we say. And let, let me just say here, he uses this, and he's going to talk about this later on. The tongue is impossible to tame. But the Bible says that, that he's here to help us. The, the Bible describes the Christian life as that which ought to flow from the fruit of the Spirit who lives within us. That's true religion or true faith. The Bible said the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. Uh, that's what we all want. And also kindness and goodness and being faithful to be a person you, others can depend upon. But then the next attribute is self-control. And so a true religion is that which comes from the heart, which flows out externally so that people can see it. And one of the most practical areas that will happen be, will be the, what comes out of our mouth, the use of our tongue. So what is true religion and great motherhood as exemplified by the mother in Proverbs 31? Um, teaching of kindness is on her tongue. 
But secondly, he goes on in this passage, he says, not only do we need a controlled tongue, we need a compassionate heart. And that's where he said, pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And I, I agree with those others who have commented on this passage. He said, you know, vi- widows and orphans, and widows would be parallel to, to motherhood that, that no longer has a partner assisting her to raise children. And it's quite possible the children are out of the home and maybe a, distant, a distance from them and cannot physically help them. Uh, and, and those are the people that, who are in need that we ought to help. And so not only should you know, God's people be known as those who, who have kind words to others that help rather than hurt, we ought to be people who help others concretely with things, not only what we say, but what we do. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew 15, you know, some people are, are more religious than they should be in the negative sense. And they justify everything they do because, well, this is what my religion says, or this is, what, this is the spiritual thing to do, and say, well, who, who says what's the most spiritual thing to do? Well, this is what I feel, you know, my heart. This is what I've been taught. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think you ought to do. It's what God thinks you ought to do. In Matthew 15, just 1 through 6, you have Jesus speaking to some rather religious people. He said, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? This is... This is them speaking to Jesus and his followers. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Have you noticed now, in fact, I think that one of the days this past week, it was uh, keep your hands sanitary day. Did anybody know that? I mean, uh, it was, it was uh, you know, if you look up on a calendar that people do this, on a calendar they'll have four or five things on every day. This is donut day. This is, uh, this is eat more bacon day. And this, one, you know, one of the, one of the more, uh, this past week it was keep your hands clean day. And, and that's, that's a value now that it's really, really risen up. There are commercials that make sure you wash your hands every time you do X, Y, Z. And I think it's good to have clean hands. But they, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were kind of into that as well. But wash your hands in a ceremonial way every time you have a meal. Um, and he could have said, well, where's that in the Bible? But he goes, he goes this way in verse 3. He says, and he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, stopping there for a moment, it's saying, look it, you can have certain habits that, that are important to you, but he said, what I want to warn you, I don't want you to raise those things to the level of, of that's what the Bible teaches is most important. And see, the, the more things you add to this book is going to keep you from doing the things that are already in this book, right? If you have too many things on your to-do list, do you get them all done? Let's be honest, right? If you have 100 things on your to-do list, and if anything amounts to any time that is needed to get them done, you're not going to get them all done. And so how do you decide which ones you do? Well, hopefully the ones that are most important. Well, what they were doing, they were taking their traditions, the things they thought were important, and said, okay, these are the things that I'm going to do. And he said, wait, you're doing those things but not doing what God has said plainly. And then he gives an example. Verse 4, for God said, honor your father and what? Mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. In the first service, there were children and teenagers here. And I said, look at capital punishment still in the Bible. You could lose your life if you say, no. Is a, you know, that was pretty important, isn't it? You better, not, you better not dishonor your parents. But then he goes on and says, but you say, whoever, 
you, you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. So he's saying, look, at, they were so spiritual, they were so religious, they said, all, all of my resources that could be used to help people, and even my family, my mother and father, have been dedicated to God. They hadn't given it to God. They just said it's dedicated to God. They had all these resources. They had given some to the temple, their 10%, but they'd kept everything else, and they said, well, that 90% or whatever percent it was, they said, we have dedicated that to God, and I can't help you. I said, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, that's your tradition. The commandment is you are to honor and support whatever you can do to, to help your parents. And he says, and by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tra- tradition, you hypocrites. And the hypocrite was a person who, who kind of taken from the theatrical scene where they would have a mask. And the mask would represent a certain type of person. And he said, the mask you have is the mask of someone who's religious. But if you take off the mask, it shows that you are not religious at all in the sense of true religion. Because true religion will be a person who desires to have his tongue controlled. We won't always control our tongue, but that's the desire of our heart. And we don't justify when we say things we shouldn't have said or say say things in ways that are not God-honoring or hurtful. And then secondly, it's having a compassionate heart. If people are in need, you need to help. Going back, you know, again, he, he talked about widows and orphans. And the reason he used them, again, they were representative. They weren't comprehensive. There were other people that were needy other than widows and orphans. But orphans, particularly in that day, there wasn't a lot of, you know, um, political nets that would catch people who were in need. And if you did not have parents, you were left to be on the street unless someone came by to rescue you up. Same thing with a widow. If they didn't have any means of financial gain, what were they going to do? And he told the church, look, if you, if you really have love in your heart, compassion in your heart, then, then help people in need. And, and the idea of, of people in need are, are those who are impoverished, not just financially, but in any way. In Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Proverbs 14.31, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. And then just again, a a motherly example in Proverbs 31.20, She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So whether it's the mother or whether it's just the child of God, we need to realize that, that we are called to, to live out our faith. We'll live out our faith by what comes out of our mouth, and we'll live out our faith by what comes out of our hand. And if we're not helping people in need, then God could say, well, what do you have on the inside? And, and let me just say, the, the needy can be those who are, are hurting financially, but it could be so many other needs as well. I, I, I think I've shared this with you before and, you know, maybe years gone by. But, you know, Mother Teresa, and I was just watching a video of her life just, just recently. And, and she is known as a person that, that helped the most hurting people on our planet. You know, people who were left on the street to die. And she would just bring them into a place where they could have dignity before they died. People who were suffering with maladies that, that no one was treating, and she would bring them in, and she would give them care as much as possible. 
But I, but I remember this one, one thing that she said one time, and she said, you know, the greatest pain I've, I've ever experienced people going through is the pain of being all alone. And, and so as we go through life in Orange County, as we see people, often we say, well, they, they've got, they, they seem to have enough to, to do whatever needs to be done. And if they don't, then we need to rescue, rescue them as much as possible to, to give a helping hand, to lift them up. Not just a handout, but to lift them up. And there are a variety of things we're doing that in the life of ministry of our church. But on a personal level, it's people that you notice that, that you know, when people are, are around them in a crowd, they're not in the crowd, they're to the side of the crowd. When people are talking, they're not talking with anybody because they really don't know anybody or the, they have no friend. It's the person, maybe in Laguna Woods, that has a door that's always closed. Why is it always closed? Because why would they open it? Because no one's coming to see them. And they don't have the means very easily to, maybe health-wise, to, to go very many places. And so they're, they're all alone. They're hurting on the inside. It's a person maybe that maybe is even very vocal, but... When you see them other times, they're hurting on the inside. And they need someone to reach out and care. And, and when we are only looking at our own self, then, then we're not what God wants us to be. Because the Bible pretty plain is, is that we are considered other people's needs as more important than our own. And as we reach out to help other people's needs, we realize that God will, will meet our needs. And sometimes we need to be recipients of, of God's care through other people. And then other times we need to be the people giving of ourselves. And the one thing that we can give is our time and our, and our, on our ears to listen to them and our arms to surround them with comfort. And, and that's what he's saying here. You see, God's people have a compassionate heart. They're reaching out to the needy whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual, that we show the love of Christ to others. Now in your outlines, then we are way over time already. I read an article this past week by a, actually a pastor's wife who is a missionary in Dubai. And she wrote a book called Missional Motherhood, The Everyday Ministry of Motherhood in the General grand plan of God. How about that for a title? You know, saying that the motherhood is, is part of the grand plan of God. And I had things to say about her 10 points, but we don't have time. But let me just hit them really quickly. She says, motherhood shows God's compassion. It's showing care and mercy uh, to this world. And really, when you think about it, God created this world, and we had Adam and Eve, they were to to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill this whole world, even when we rebelled against him. And motherhood has part of that program. Motherhood is a gift. Every life that comes out of a womb is not a mistake. Every one of them God allowed to come out, and so every child is a gift. Motherhood is a verb. It's not simply a position. There, there's, a, there's a job description, isn't it? You become a mother biologically, and then the work begins, the real work, the pain in the process of, of giving birth to the child, but then the work really happens. Motherhood is impossible 
It's not just difficult, it's impossible. There, there's absolutely no way to complete every task. Motherhood is not loss, though you can think of many ways it is a loss. When you become the, the primary caretaker of, a, of children in the home, you've lost your freedom to do whatever you want. You've lost sleep. You've lost financial resources. You've lost the use of your car. You've lost all kinds of things, all right? There's loss. But in the grand total of things, if you've gained more than you lost, is it a gain or a loss? It's a gain. And so there's sacrifices involved. Motherhood gives glory to God because that's what gives him greatest glory is people that come to faith in him and then live for him. Motherhood is missional. In other words, you have a job description to be the person that impacts uh, this next generation. It is true that he... The person who rocks the cradle rules the what? Rules the rule because you have the greatest influence in, in new lives in this world. M- motherhood requires courage. It's not for the faint-hearted. You're going to go through the fears and anxieties of life. Motherhood requires grace, which means you need God's help. And then motherhood is only for a time. And, and I want to say to those ladies here who maybe have never had a child, you haven't been a, a mother to children that you've brought into this world, Anytime you take on the role of being a mother, which is um, being a friend to other mothers or whether you have been a, a mentor for other uh, young lives in this world, whenever you disciple somebody else, um, that's, that's the role God has for us. Because motherhood is only for a time in terms of being the primary input into a person's life. There comes a point where you graduate from that program. It is your role, but it's not your identity. Your identity is you're a child of God, that God has an eternal purpose for you throughout time. So don't don't despair. It's a time of of great adjustment when the empty nest program starts into your life, but it's going to be forever that way. So what is true religion? True religion is a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and we'll just state this very simply today, a clean life, a clean life. Because if, if for mothers, obviously, if, if you're going to be a great mother, the best thing you can do is not only give great wisdom, teach very practical skills, whether it's being able to cook or, or sew or be responsible at school or in, in, the, in the workforce or whatever it might be. But the greatest thing you can do for a child is to, to live a life of an example. And that's why God wants us to live lives that, that he's outlined for us to live that honor his commandments because that's what's, that's what's good. It's not just because they're right, it's what's good. And so in Proverbs 31, again, you have the example of the one who's the almost overwhelmingly perfect example in the Proverbs woman. It says, she does him, speaking of her, of her, of her spouse, good and not evil all the days of her life. So she treats the people in her home in a way that's good, not evil. And, and then as you think, well, again, how does a mother really impact a child? Well, look at how 2 Timothy speaks about a prominent pastor in the first century. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. He's speaking to Timothy. So, well, who really impacted you spiritually? And he says, oh, let me just tell you. For first it dwelled in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So he's saying, look at a true religion is you're an example to others of how it's supposed to be lived. And afterwards, people are going to say, well, the, the reason I came to faith is because I saw it in your life. And then in two passages that I'll just read quickly, in Isaiah and Amos, he says, I want you to understand, 
religion is the outward expression of observances of what you feel honors that which is within you. But, Paul, but, but God is not fooled. The things that he wants you to do, if you're doing them not from the heart, he says, I don't, even, I don't want you even doing them. And, and take two of the most profound things we can do in terms of expression of our faith. Pray and, and worship God through song and melody. He said, well, if it's not coming from that which is true, just quit praying and quit singing. He says in Isaiah, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, your, your life is so messed up, and you don't want to change the things that are obvious in your life, and yet you think, I'm impressed with your prayers. Stop praying and get yourself clean. I was just thinking about it. I went for a long run yesterday, and I was all sweaty, and my daughter was in my house, and I would do this every time. I'd go, give me a hug, you know. She wanted nothing to do with me, all right. Well, go take a shower first. You know, that's how God looks at us at times. Say, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps or your organ or piano or guitars or whatever instrument you want to use. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So, so really what, Paul, what, what James really says in those two verses, uh, James 1, 26 and 27, is this is the obvious. I want you to be real and genuine. I want you to have a faith that's true. And if it's on the inside, it will flow out in the outside. And to make it more than just mystical or, or, or wondering how you measure, what are the metrics, I'm going to tell you. Here's three things. If you really have the real deal, and if you really want to live it out, it's never done perfectly, but if this is the direction of your life, then you have that which is real. Have a controlled tongue a compassionate heart, and a clean life. And so we're all left with that, that question. Well, how much is your religion worth? Is it worthless? People really can't see what you say you believe. Or, or can they see that you really, really have a relationship with God that works itself out in ways that people can hear what you say, look at what you do, and observe your example set before them. Let's pray. Father, on this Mother's Day, this Lady's Day, we want all the mothers, all the ladies today see that they're of extreme value because you were, they were made by God. Your son died on their behalf and you have a great mission for them to live lives that show what, what God is all about. But there might be some people here this morning, um, whether they're mothers or ladies or whether they're men, and they know about God, but they don't know Him. And it all begins with that first step, to admit your need and turn from that which is sinful in your eyes, to believe, believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again on their behalf, and then decide to commit to commit to follow Jesus and trust in Him as their Lord and God and Savior. 
And Father, when we sincerely ask you to take that which is wrong in our life and make it right, to come in our life and make us new people, you'll answer that according to your word. Help us to, to live out a life that is true and right in your eyes. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, let's... Uh,